Podcast, powered by BZ Consultants Group, with your host, Brooke Furness. Each week, I sit down with experts in the respected fields as we discuss how we can move this wonderful automotive industry forward by differentiating facts from feelings. Our conversation explore how my guests got to where they are today and how they achieve success. All right, let's jump in. Welcome in to another Facts Not Feelings. Oh my goodness, everyone. I am so excited. And quite frankly, you all should be too, because we have the one, the only Fleming Ford with me. Like I should have a round of applause going right now because I, this is a round of applause, round of applause. So we've got Fleming Ford with me. And if you all don't know Fleming Ford, man, you strap in because it is going to be an incredible episode. If you're ready to ignite your leadership skills and attract, looking to attract and retain your top talent, maybe not so much your bottom talent, but maybe your top talent, man, this is the episode for you. Well, maybe maybe you're, you're looking to get the bottom talent to the top talent, maybe more like that. And you're thinking, you know, you don't, you don't want to miss this episode because we're going to be talking about that. We're talking all about this woman right now, this boss babe, a person who's got over 20 years of experience with not just automotive, but with people strategy. The first time I heard her speak, I had my husband sitting next to me. We both just looked at each other we're like, dang, like, holy shnikes. She's just throwing down knowledge left and right. So I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Because you're talking about stop managing start leading a practical guide to effective leadership. Now, right before I hand the floor over to you, this is such an important topic. Last week, we had Darrell Terrell on the show talking about different leaderships and the qualities of a good leader. And that was such a good episode. More and more people need to hear this. So everyone, you, you know, at this point, how, how we do this. There's someone out there that needs to hear this. Tag them. Share this with them. Give us the comments and feedback with this because there's someone out there I know that needs to hear this. So let them know this. And Fleming, I'm going to let you do your thing. Let us know a little bit more about you and we'll get this thing rock and roll. Let's go with this. Thank you, Brooke. I'm always, always love having a good time and talking with you. It's, I feel like I'm always learning and uh, that's the whole fun of getting to be in this industry is the exciting people we get to meet and hang out with. Um, I'll go ahead and point out I'm not a dealership. That's the first thing everybody starts Googling is like, where's Fleming Ford? And I'm like, nope, that's just my weird name. So (laughs) every time, every time. Yeah. So that is how I ended up in automotive, though. I think every GM I called, I thought I was doing a dealer trade and I'd be like, hey, having a problem with turnover, which was pretty much 100 percent of them. So have a lot of experience, you know, kind of working on talent strategies and how do we get the best talent is probably one of the big issues facing dealerships and frankly, everybody in these coming years is where are we going to get the best and brightest and the skilled with the best attitude and how are we going to keep them engaged and loyal to our organization? So excited to dive into that today. Oh, it's, and it's just such a needed topic. If, if someone has just recently jumped into the auto industry in the last, we'll say 18 months, a little bit different than what the normal industry is. So trying to then say, okay, now let's, let's refocus a little bit of staying with of how not the, not only the culture, but what the industry is, is very, very key. So how can businesses, let's, let's just go jump right into this. How can businesses attract and retain top talent in today's market? And what role does leadership play in this process? 
And I'm going to jump to the back end of that retention okay. because that's a real concern of mine for my leaders that I work with. And I work with a lot of GMs. I'm as an executive coach. So I do a lot of, hey, what's going on? What's the struggles? And the thing that I'm really concerned about coming up is how do we go from this wave of like, luxury clothes with big gross and everybody's a salesperson, even if they've never been a salesperson, because there just wasn't inventory. And I think as leaders, we have to really kind of wrap our heads around how are we going to navigate that it's going to be a more challenging job? It's possibly going to pay less and they're possibly going to have to work more hours and they may not have the skill sets to handle emotionally rejection. Um, the no's that come all day, customers, not just, you know, we have to actually call them and return phone calls. We have to treat them well. We can't just be like, take it or leave it. This is a huge skills gap. And it's my concern awesome. is what if all of a sudden they start running up against these obstacles or these barriers that they're not equipped for, and they just decide to walk out the door. And that's we're a big one bankrupting our talent that's on the floor or even in the back because they're just not prepared emotionally or skill-wise to navigate the next era of automotive. So how do we as leaders get them back engaged, make sure that they are excited, enthusiastic, and also prepared to kind of run the course of um, what will be more challenging? I want to go back to something you just said there. And Preparing them for the first time may be saying no. Now, anyone that knows me knows I'm a bit of a sports buff and I have a little bit of a problem with participation trophies. Now, that's a whole other topic for another day. <laughs> but with that, one of the problems with that I personally have with that is the first time someone is being told is when they're in the workplace. So now you have the first time that if they've just, this is the, they're newer to this, they're like, oh my gosh, what? They're telling me, no, like, what is this? And so that's such a valid point that you're bringing up that all of a sudden, wait, 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 they can just go down the street and get another car. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They, they haven't been able to do that for a while. Like now they can, or our talent is walking away because they now have an opportunity. Now I understand that was 2020. We saw a lot of this, like people are just walking out, but they, then they started coming back. So I, that's a really, really key point that you just brought up. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because it is, I mean, we are seeing this and I have, there was a, it was like the first of February, I had numerous people. You saw a lot of job layoffs, a lot of layoffs. I had numerous people reach out and just saying, hey, who do you know that's hiring? And there was the brief moment I go, you know, if you would have asked me three weeks ago, I would have said this many people. And I had to like go back to my contacts and say, okay, who is still hiring? And then from there, what is it that you really want? Like, what is your game plan here? Where do you want to go? So Really, really good points there. So what are some common challenges then that leaders are facing when building those high performing teams and how can they overcome those challenges? Uh, you know, I think it's going to take a much different leadership mindset than we've had in the past. It's going to take a lot more growth, nurturing time spent dealing with mental health issues, making sure people have the coping skills. You know, what's interesting about this younger generation, which is what I'm assuming you're referring to in terms of uh, trophies, is they haven't learned the art of coping, coping with disappointment, coping with not being rewarded, coping with not getting their way. It doesn't mean they're not hard workers, but what I think the opportunity is for leaders is to teach them now some of these coping skills. How do we handle these rejections? How do we have the mindsets? How do we have the wherewithal to bounce back? 
because it's a very black and white. They, you know, I always say they they're kind of avoiding conflict. And working in automotive and working with customers is a lot of conflict. I mean, it, nice conflict if you do it well, but being comfortable that a customer's naturally been taught over the years, except for the last couple, to negotiate with us, to fight back, to push back, to say no, even if they don't want it. That it's a trust issue. But working and coaching and working alongside, especially the younger generation, or frankly, anybody who's new to the industry, how do they deal with that? That's what your leadership role is now. How are you going to teach them mentally, emotionally, and skillfully to handle these no's and rejection? Because this generation basically sees it as black or white, which is why they're like, I want your job now, black or white. <laughs> okay? um, I want to raise 100% raise now. And so the better we are at not kind of reacting to them, but helping walk them through, okay, I see why you want that. And I can see how you, we can get you there, but here's the reality. And let's talk about what that means. And so there's a lot more time and care that managers are. And I know everybody's like, why I didn't have to go through that. I'm like, get over that, get over it. <laughs> I don't care what you had to do 20 years ago, five years ago. It's a different leader that's going to win now. And so to me, one of the best skills is going to be, are you, can you acquire talent and can you keep talent? And the rest we can teach them. But if you're not getting the competitive advantage of having the best team, having A players, having a culture of A players, the customer feels it, your next candidate feels it. It just kind of keeps continuing on the wheel. So some of it is going to be reteaching a whole generation of participant awards, what it's like to go through things that don't work or you're not getting rewarded for showing up to work. And I say, make a big deal when they show up. Yay, Brooke, you made it. <laughs> On time. Good job. <laughs> yeah, good job. <laughs> you know, but you know, this is a generation that wants more than a paycheck. And frankly, they can get a paycheck everywhere. Mm -hmm. So what's your value proposition as a leader? Why do I want to work for you? Why am I going to grow with you? Why can I trust you? Um, you know, my favorite quote is like John Maxwell. Nobody cares how much you know till they know how much you care. Yes. I and love that quote. I think as leaders in this industry, we don't like to show how much we care. You know, it's it's not kind of the cool part of our image. And so how do we break the old model of, you know, we're tough and do what I say and command and control and move into this model of, you know what, Brooke, I really care about you. I see your potential. Here's how I'm going to help you grow to maximize yourself. How do you make those connections in a way that, you know, makes candidates feel like they're safe and they can make some mistakes and that they can also have your support should they go through some of these not winnings of trophies? <laughs> it, it Man, there's so much to unpack there, like so much to unpack. And it's so true. It having the ability to be fluid and say, okay, I've got a 75-year-old a or a 65-year-old, a 40-year-old, and a 19-year-old is so vital to a successful business. Being able to say, okay, this person is going to react this way, this person is going to be able to react this way, and I'm always going to re revert back to sports. And you look at any college, especially basketball, and know that, okay, it went from we're going to go four years of college to we're going to go one and done. Okay, well, that was insanely difficult. How you coach those players is very different. But if they just say, no, no, I'm mm -mm, not going to do it. My kids have to stay four years. Well, I'm sorry, then you're not going to have a winning team. And how you coach those players, I'll never forget, I was working with a, a store many years ago. 
And they just go, we don't know. We don't even know how to relate to age, age from age to age. I go, you, you better learn real quickly. <laughs> better figure that out. Yeah. Because you're, you're going to go out of business real quick. Like, cause if you can't hire age gap from the, from here to here, then you're not gonna be able to sell from age gap here to here. You got to figure that out. And I'm glad that you realize that and you're aware enough to know that you can't, but don't say can't because right now it's just a stumbling block for you. You'll figure it out and I'm here to help you, but it's so important that you do figure it out. So that, that brings me to my next question of creating that culture of inclusivity and diversity and all the benefits. I was, I was under your site and there is just stat after stat after stat of when you do open those, open your arms to diversity and inclusivity, how the numbers just skyrocket for everything. So talk a little bit about that. Well, it's, I'm glad you kind of pointed out one of the more obvious, you know, people think diversity, inclusivity, and they're like, think we're going all right down the path, race, gender, you know, diversity is really just having different backgrounds, different expectations, different life experiences, which to your point is sometimes age, right? So if, if your culture can only deal with these certain ages, then you're limiting your talent pool. You're limiting your ideas. You're limiting the innovation that could come into your store. Um, if you're not being inclusive of different genders, of different types of people, of different, um, you know, what your community looks like, your customers feel it. So if I don't see myself in your store when I come in to get my car service, if I don't feel comfortable, my guard goes up. So the return is so plentiful. And you can read a thousand studies by Deloitte and McKinsey on the actual facts and numbers. I'm, you know, don't want to dive into that and bore everybody today. But if you think in practical terms, my customer feels more comfortable. They're going to buy more, spend more, come more often, refer their friends. My candidates are going to want to be part of this team because they're going to see themselves and connect and feel like they're part of something with bigger purpose. And my employees are going to feel like, hey, this is someplace I fit in. So I'm going to stick around because that's rare to find nowadays. So the ROI is not only customer focused, it's also talent focused. How are you going to attract the talent if it doesn't look like a place half the population doesn't want to fit in or work? Or where we don't have different openings to everybody's different perspectives and views and values. So being a great, you know, I heard this great story about success and it was like, you know, back in during manufacturing and all that was starting, it was like, who kind of physically worked the hardest? Who put in the most effort? Then success, you know, kind of in the 90s and, and in that era was really about who mentally worked the hardest, who had the brightest, strongest strategies, ideas to see companies through. Now they're saying it's the people who have the most heart. The people who get people are going to be who are most successful. Because, you know, once the inventory and the chip shortage is gone, we still have a people shortage. And the people who get people who can create cultures and workplaces that people love to work and to your point, who can connect to each individual, who can find common ground, who can find common interests, who can find common goals and align those to the company. That's where you have to be really strong and, and effective. I think the problem in automotive is we get too busy doing the work instead of doing the leading. So I'm really comfortable jumping back on the desk. I'm really comfortable jumping back, you know, to handle a customer problem. And instead of taking back and coaching and teaching my team and working with them on all these upcoming issues or concerns or skills they need, I'm jumping in and saving the day. Oh, so yeah. 
we're overwhelmed. We're overstressed. We feel like, how do I have any more time to get to know each of these individuals on my team? Like, I, I get why that's overwhelming. I know you said you weren't going to get too far into facts. I'm just going to throw a couple of stats down here on. And once again, going back to when we say diversity and inclusivity, it's please think broader than right. one thing that your mind's automatically going to go to. This is all inclusive. Companies that embrace diversity, equ equity, and inclusion are eight times more likely to achieve better business outcomes. Companies in the top quartile for gender diversity are 21% more likely to outperform on profitability. Now, we can definitely go down, like you said, way more on this. I just want to make sure to put some numbers behind this, that if it's, it's, if it's yeah, <laughs> if you're, and once again, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole. If you're making a post on a certain month, we're right now Women's you know, History Month, and you make a post about that and you literally have one woman in your workplace or you don't have any women. And I walk in there and I see that, wait, wait. So you guys are saying you do this, but I absolutely see no females in your workplace or any, any month. I don't care what month it is. Well, just talk about facts up. over feelings. Yeah. Mm. I feel like I want women to work here, but the fact mm. is they don't. But they don't. <laughs> you know, we had Kitty Mears on a couple weeks ago and we were talking all about, you know, female catering to the female, the customer, her experience. So whatever it may be, just understand your mouth may be moving, but if your actions don't back it up, then your customer will see through that. And that's more detrimental than, than just don't say anything. Like, yeah. just don't do it. Just don't do it. So going on that a little bit there, just kind of piggyback on there. What are some effective strategies for employee training and development and how can businesses measure the, the impact of these efforts? So a couple of things there. I'll say, you know, if, if I'm working with a GM, kind of here's the fact. If you do not have diversity on your team and you've been the GM or, or your department head for more than three years, that's your culture you created. So there's no excuses there. So you may say, I, and you may want to have diversity, but if you aren't doing anything about it with intention, if you're not breaking down barriers, if you're not stopping uncomfortable conversations or what I call microaggressions in the dealerships. If you're not working on the biases of your team, meaning this is what we think a GM looks like. This is what I think a top salesperson. This is what a technician looks like. These are just biases. You know, and I always make fun of it. I, you know, I was in a sorority when I was in college. And when I say, oh, I was in a sorority, if you went, oh, of course she was, and you rolled your eyes, that's a bias. If you went, oh, cool, I wonder what sorority, that's also a bias. If I saw that on a resume, that would make you want to hire me or not hire me. My point is we all have biases. One of the biggest biases we have in automotive is if you're not from automotive, you're never going to fit in. So to me, one of the biggest diversity opportunities is how do you make people from outside of automotive get equipped, fit in and up to speed so that they are valuable workers for you faster without them having to be from automotive? What is your onboarding and training to develop people from outside of automotive so you have diversity of thought because we just keep what I call retreading we keep retreading the same old people they're just retreads people they just you put a fancy new shirt on them but it's still an old tire and so how do you bring in new talent how do you onboard them how do you grow them let's invest in getting better people have better hiring processes recruit from outside the industry and then have a better onboarding program. And onboarding means making them feel like they belong. 
So you're telling me you don't just throw them in the deep end and say, good luck? No, my other favorite (laughs) one is let's hire 10 people and see which one works out. Like, you know, like, (laughs) I'm like, so that sends such a bad message to your whole team. They're not inclusive or try to help because they're like, this place sucks. I don't know why you came work here. And it, it it's just this revolving door of people that we've gotten really okay with. And it just sends terrible messages to not only the candidates, the customers, but how about our oh, loyal employees that are like, oh, they did it again. Yep. <laughs> yep. Or, or promote the ones, the ones that are doing so well, we're going to add more to your plate because you do good. You do a great job. But the ones that are horrible, we're going to promote you. What are, what? <laughs> Or we're going to tolerate your really poor and toxic behavior. Mm, that's the worst you can do for a good employee, man. It, oh, oh, yeah. it, 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 nothing kills a good employee than watching you tolerate a bad one. That's one of my favorite quotes, by the way. It, <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. And you look and say, there's, and I'm going to screw up the fact here. I was on a, this is years ago, and it was something about Taco Bell. And okay, a taco, right? A burrito taco, whatever. And the amount of training they go to just, to learn how to make a freaking taco. And it's like, okay, how we all make taco Tuesdays. Like it doesn't take much. Right. But they go through, it's like 36, it's like a ton of training, ton of training, but yet to sell a car, to go through all these trainings. And it's like, ah, just figure it out. You'll figure it out. Go sit on that computer. Memorize the steps to the sale. You're good. Yeah. You're good to go. But yet Taco Bell, who that taco is 99 cents. uh, You're going to go to like six months of training. I was like, are you kidding me? Now, I, I don't quote me on the amount of time it is, but it's, right. it's a very extensive amount of time for that. I was really blown away by that. I was like, wow, that is pretty crazy. But then I mean, you look at like a Chick-fil-A or in, insert any of these other companies that we all look to to say, okay, they're processed, the, my pleasure, all those things that are so, you know, the gold standard, if you will. But it's very, very true. There's a reason why we're not, they're not looking for someone to round peg square hole. They're saying you have to fit our process or thank you, but no, thank you. Well, and I think, for so long, we've put too much on the manager's plate. So who is going to train and coach and develop? And frankly, we're a little territorial about our power. Mm. If I teach you how to do it, then you won't need me. Well, I'm here to break the really good news. Leadership talent, having real leadership skills is the rarity in our industry. Not that you know how to desk a deal or that you know how to, you know, how to change the tire. Like, <laughs> there you go. It's not the skill set that's needed and required anymore that you can do the job. It's better that you can grow, retain, and build the people to do the job, that you can grow and take care of the people who can do the job. That's the skill sets that every manager or frontline manager should be working on, not getting better at digital retail or closing the deal or doing really the people side of the business is where everybody should be investing. Uh, Otherwise, you're just going to end up what I call professional babysitting or overpaid babysitting, right? You're running around like, I have to do that. I have to do that. They don't have to deal with the customer. They don't. And as you were talking about like gentlemen, you know, ladies and gentlemen serving little ladies and gentlemen, which is like the Ritz Carlton model, teaching people the expected behaviors, rewarding them when they do them, holding them accountable when they don't, having a standards of performance and attitude that your whole team buys into, take some time and some training. But yes. it's so impactful to the end result of the customer experience and the referrals you get because of the experience they had in your stores and the referrals of employees because, hey, you're going to fit in here. You're going to like working here. Why don't you come work at ABC dealership? Um, yes. That's where the power starts to really kind of self 
um, you know, self succeed. And without the numbers will back, especially with the, the female is that we will always pay more for if we know that we are taken care of, that the experience is there. Or you I, feel comfortable. I, yeah. It, How about it, not even being taken care of? I just want to feel comfortable. Exactly. Yes. Um, and I'll share the story. Like my, I have two daughters, which is why I kind of dived into this diverse. I've always worked in culture and leadership, which it, it all aligns. At the end of the day, diversity and inclusion is just about being good to people, listening to their values, listening to their opinions, using them, respecting them, treat everybody like that. I don't care. You know, everyone should be treated with that. But I have two daughters. They're um, six months apart in age. So if you can do the math, they're not both mine. But <laughs> they were turning 16. So we gave them each a budget to research and find the cars they wanted. And because we thought they needed to learn how to do all that. And we went to two dealerships, the first two cars that they had found, walked in and basically got the, you know, the point covered with men that don't look like them, do not relate to them, do not have never bothered to learn to relate to them, not to say they can't, but it was such a horrible experience when they, my daughters are trying to, they, they love shopping. So to them, this is a very exciting and should be a very should memorable be. event. Should. It should be something they remember forever. So we left there. We go to the second place. Not only did the gentleman not get to us, they're behind me going, no, mommy, no, mommy. Don't, I do not want to talk to them. So frustrating, man. So when I talk about like, we're concerned about automotive and the future of the retail stores. Yes. Everybody wants to go buy a car. Yes. We want to go drive it and experience it. We like shopping. We're shoppers. Yeah. But if you're making me so uncomfortable that it's no longer a joyous experience, then I'm going to buy it online. Yeah. And so people skills, people skills, people skills, and getting really good at adapting your leadership skills to help address those people skills. So you have the best people who can deliver to the best people. You know, it, it, it to me is, is where we should be investing our time and energy in, in our leaders. And also with that is having both, because you can have males and females on, on your shore and floor. Sure. And, and knowing that if there's a female, most likely statistically, you'll feel more comfortable that there's numerous stats and studies on this. That you'll feel more comfortable with that female, male and female going to the female yeah. consultant, lots of stats on, on this and just knowing, okay, when someone goes onto your showroom floor, how many females are there? Do you have females on your staff for that? And everything looking at your, at your showroom floor right now, is there diversity? Is there, are all those things there? Because if there's not, you, you're losing sales. You are losing money. 100% and this is what they'll say. But I've hired females. They just didn't work out. <laughs> and why do you think that is? Thank you. So that's where you have to really deep dive into where were the barriers? Where was there not a feeling of comfort and connection? Where did they not feel like they were part? Most of them will say, I didn't see a future for myself. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they weren't invited to the table. They weren't mentored. They weren't giving all the deals, like whatever our biases are, they weren't ready. Or maybe they did find some success and the rest of the group cut them out. Or worse. 
Yes. Or worse. Or we will say we have heard stories of much worse. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's for another topic. <laughs> that, yeah, I don't want to go down that. That's on the positive side of this. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I think as the leader, especially as the GM or the GSM or the fixed ops director, if if you're hiring women and they're not sticking, you better be doing some exit interviews on why, yeah. where they were treated. And then you've got to get really comfortable handling kind of conflict. And having some difficult conversations with team members. Hey, one of our values is we value people and their opinions and their respect. And we value being teammates and collaborating and caring about each whatever your values are. When you say this or act like this, it affects the rest of the team like this. And here's what the impact is. And that can no longer be tolerated. So I'm just letting you know, going forward, here's what my expectations are. You're not going to talk like this. You're not going to make jokes like this. You're not going to, you know, have bully or challenge or harass other people because that's not tolerated in this store. And we have to be really, really strong sometimes about letting go of our top person who's an asshole. Yeah, 100%. It, it's not worth it to have that bad apple than the cliches it is to ruin everything. And I will say what the exit interview is. How many? I'll ask you. And how many of do you see that one actually have an exit interview process, and two, if they do have it, actually act on it versus I'm checking a box because I have to do this, but I'm really not going to do anything with it. Both. Uh, I think a lot of people will say, "Oh, it's too hard to do." Nobody, you know, we throw it out there. We don't get any feedback. If I'm really struggling in an area, I'm the type of person who wants to dive into it. And and you know, to me, it's like own the facts. What are the facts? So I might have to call Brooke and be like, Brooke, I'm really sorry you left. I'd love, you know, to kind of keep an open conversation going. But can can you help me out here? Because, you know, we continue to lose women or we continue to have a lot of turnover. What's one thing you would change if you were me? And I think that's such a powerful question as a leader. What's one thing I could do differently? What's one thing you would say to me if you were me? What would you do? And being a little bit vulnerable, though, we don't have all the answers because you will learn so much with your own vulnerability of asking for help. And you, you know, sometimes we do what I call executive listening sessions where we might get a focus group of, of women together or um, just a focus group of maybe generations if we're having generational turnover. Um, and we really kind of like have the execs just listen in as we talk through what are their, Sometimes when we are the leader, we don't really know the day-to-day challenges or the day-to-day barriers or obstacles for different people being successful in an organization. Um, And there can be a very big culture of protecting the way it was that acts up when people who are different come in and find success. Yeah. That you may not be aware of. So exit interviews will bring out, I think, more truth than actual employee surveys. And I love an employee survey because we'll still pick up information there. And I love, I mean, I can I can go to town and come up with a game plan with an, an employee survey result, but exit surveys are probably where more harsh truth comes up because they don't have anything to lose. Anyway. I would agree. Yeah, because <laughs> plus employee surveys to me, at least from my experience, is I never trusted that my information was confidential it, with the best of the ver- exit survey. I was like, Oh, what a, either I'm gone now. I so what, 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 I, yeah, I don't care anyways. Like what, whether you do anything or not, it's not going to, it has no bearing on me. I hope that you do to help other people, 
But as an employee survey, I, I never felt that I could be 100% honest because I would somehow come back to hurt me. So I, and I, I agree. Think you're like so on point there. I think there's two things there. First off, I love that you said, well, nothing's going to change. So if people <laughs> feel like you're asking their opinion, but you really don't care, then they're not going to bother with their time, right? It's like a waste of time. And second, you know, I do think what you do with the results the first time really indicates who will give their honest opinion the next time. And using a third party, don't do your own surveys. I know oh. it's cheaper, but it's that third party anonymity that protects the employee from the employer. And, you know, and I've worked in, in survey companies before and, you know, they'll call and be like, well, I'm just going to fire the whole sales team because they gave me a bad result. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> that's not what this was for. Um, so talking about coping skills, I think I could teach a lot of GMs coping skills with the bad news from employee surveys. (laughs) Or like they'll, I literally have seen companies that have like taken the horrible scores and they're like, screw it. Yeah. They just, they're like, don't worry about it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about it. We, uh, five stars. Wait, didn't you get negative stars? Nope. 10 stars. Now it's 10 stars. Okay. Let's go with it. (laughs) Yeah. So when you earlier, when you said, I know we kind of got off track, but like a a retention strategy, ask your people's opinions, do something with it and, and get really thick skin. Just like we had to all learn to be thick skinned about rejection, get thick skinned as a leader. You don't know it all. I promise you. It's a journey that's constantly evolving. And frankly, what works three years ago, five years ago, doesn't work right now. So if you're not on a journey of kind of always being more aware of yourself, self-assessing, learning how you can be better, letting your people be part of that. I mean, and you know, and I know, you know, I get to go visit a lot of great leaders and and cultures because I get to go study why they work. And it's always this humble leader who puts his people in front of himself or herself, learns how to be better and takes, has courage to do something about it. And to just pretend, like I always say, if you think you're fooling your employees by not telling them what the survey says, they already all know what the survey is. Oh, yeah. They know 100%. Right. So they're like, oh, wait, we won best blah, blah, blah. That's funny. Yeah. How did we win that? <laughs> like, yeah, that's why I work here. We're the best. We're the best. Yeah. And I'm always like, you know, the power in glass door. I was, this is also one of my other favorites. I'm like, if you're getting ghosted, either candidates aren't showing up for the interview or they're not showing up for the first day or they're leaving midday. Go look at your glass door reviews. Oh yeah. That's what people look at now. They're not, you know, they might be all happy and excited when they leave you after the interview. And then when they go back and check what people say, glass doors where they tell what it's really like to work for you and your company. Mm -hmm. And when it says this is a horrible place, not, I'm sure none of your listeners Oh, never. Nobody would ever say that. But let's say other companies, for example. (laughs) That's why they're not coming back after you've kind of made this connection. So the reality can no longer be hidden. The reality can no longer be covered up, you know, lipstick on a pig. It's out there for everybody to read. So you got to get really authentic about making change. You got to get really authentic about the culture and type of leader you want to be. And that takes a lot of time and effort. It's, it's, I always say it's like working out. It, it doesn't happen overnight. It's like you get slowly stronger, slowly stronger. You get better players, better players. You work on, you know, and, and I love sports is this analogy. 
your job as the coach is to put them through the practice rings over and over and over until it becomes really natural. And all those things do not show up in a month. And we're on this month to month winning cycle. So working and at like allocating enough time towards the long game is kind of, I think, where we struggle. Oh, I love I love that. And we're so trained on the 30 month cycle and that things need to be instantaneous in this instantaneous win. And it's not like that at all. And so as we talk all about leadership and training, and sometimes you just have that employee that they, they might not be the top performing employee and the top employees, top performing salesperson, but you know, you just see these valuable skill sets. And too often it's either, well, I'll just move over to the BDC, oh, I'll move over. What? No, you see that valuable skill set and you know that the talent's there. So how do you take that? What strategies could you lend to the, our listeners here to say, to be able to want identify those skill set and that talent and then nurturing that employee to say, hey, no, let, let's move you and let's train you. What are some skills? How can you identify that and, and to nurture those, those skill sets? Oh, there's like so many reasons behind why a good employee can go bad. Like, first off, I would say I'm a big advocate of using um, behavioral profiles and assessments. Yes. I feel like we hire a lot of what I call fake salespeople. And what I mean by that is charming. They look like a salesperson. They talk like a salesperson. They, you know, you're like, oh, they can sell ice to, a, you know, Eskimo. And I'm like, well, why do we want someone who sells shit people don't need? Yes. But... <laughs> I would say there's a lot of times people are really good at selling themselves, but they're really not comfortable in negotiation. They're really not comfortable pushing. They want to have friends more than they want to make deals. So we have a lot of very charming people in the industry who actually really aren't motivated by winning and closing and driving and competing. So you could have somebody who's just in the wrong role. So there could be a place where you could use that assessment to potentially put them somewhere else. If they already have the good attitude, the positive energy, all the other things that make somebody a great employee. Okay. That being said, if that's not really the issue, have you trained them? Have you equipped them? Have you empowered them? Have you taken away their joy? Have you taken away their trust? Have you taken away? Um, a lot of leaders use microaggressions and passive aggressiveness to take away people's wins, pride, and confidence. And what I mean by that is, well, you wouldn't have got that deal if it wasn't for me, Brooke. Well, I set you up or what? You know. So you're you're eroding. Nothing is worse than taking away somebody's own pride. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, when I go home to my spouse or maybe at this most points, my parents, <laughs> and they say, how was your day? It, it's going to be where I had success. psychologically, we're not meant to be lazy. We're not meant to just get away with the bare minimum. It's we're, we're excited and thrilled when we have a win that we earned on our own and you let me have it. And we're sometimes too scared to reward and give attention to good works in the industry. Instead, we just diminish. I always call it. It's, it's, it's kind of like when there's a man and a woman and there's like emotional um, abuse. Yes. And are your leaders equipped to give the right encouragement, support with accountability? Yep. It's a nice balancing. So most of them don't know how to do accountability. Most of them don't know how to have discipline conversations in an effective win-win kind of way. So they sabotage or they kind of passively aggressive, put the person down instead of having the coaching moment. 
instead of having let's get them back on track moments. So for me, if a GM came to me with that problem, I would probably need to just dive down a lot more, Brooke, into what, where is it happening? Why is it happening? You know, where's the gap um, in order to fix? Because it could be multiple areas of, um, and we don't want to lose good talent because we haven't been encouraging them, growing them and strengthening them. And that is such a key thing is to to be able to identify, is this, is this person no longer a good fit for the team? Was this on me that it was my, in essence, as a leader, not a manager, as a leader, did I fail this person? Is this person just, just not a good fit anymore? Or is this person, you know, at what point do you sever ties? Uh, And being able to identify that and exactly what you're saying here. And when it is time to cut ties, whether they are the number one salesperson and they sell 30 cars a month, I don't care. I honestly don't give a shit. I really don't care. If that person is endangering the culture and I endangering the entire, I'll say soul of the, of your business, get rid of them and him or her. Cause it's not worth it to, to drag the rest of the team down. If it's, if it's, if it's in danger, it's not worth it because it's, yeah, it's, it's toxic to the rest of the group. There you go. Well, yeah. and I think, I would say a lot of kind of what we're talking about really goes down to very ineffective hiring processes. Yes. So not having standardized hiring processes, um, not having diversity of a hiring panel, which I mean, not just sales managers hiring salespeople, but maybe the service advisor or F&I, like getting different perspectives on candidates, making sure we're not just hiring because someone has experience in the industry, which is an easy lay down. And there's a reason why a top performer is moving from dealership to dealership to dealership. So don't bring that problem onto your own dealership floor. So really sitting down and coming up with a scorecard of what we need, what does success look like here? And how do we hire to it? And how do you train your managers to be effective interviewers with behavioral interviewing questions and not just kind of find people they like or they feel in their gut is going to be a big success. So a lot of times we don't want to admit we're wrong. And so we Mm -hmm. let that person kind of keep hanging on. Then I think once you know there's a problem, I always tell my managers, you need to address it within 24 hours. Give yourself time to cool down. I actually have a nine step conversation to handling difficult behavior and correcting it so that it is positive. But it is your job to correct the behavior and get the person back on track. So all of this is your fault if you're the leader. (laughs) You either didn't get the right person or you didn't coach and equip them to be successful, or you allowed bad behavior or bad skill sets to continue without addressing them and setting and resetting expectations. And if you allow them to just stick around and hope that I always call it the hope, the hope, the hope, a plan. I hope someone else handles it. I hope they go away. I hope they, you know, they get a car accident, like whatever your hope is. (laughs) That's not a plan. And leaders, I think the hardest thing that we have to do, being a leader is great when we're fun and cheering everybody on and training and, you know, getting to be the Superman and all that. The hardest part about being a leader is correcting bad behavior and acknowledging that you have the wrong person on your team and doing something about it. Those are the hard conversations. They take courage, but there is skill involved. And nobody should be surprised when you fire them. And what I find is if you ignore that problem, ignore the problem, you react one day in an incorrect, over the top, over dramatic way. And it's very hard to then self-correct from that. So 
there should be a performance plan. Nobody, I mean, typically I literally don't feel like I ever have to fire anybody. By the time we've worked it through, we both have decided and we've both realized that the best course of action is for them to, you know, head in another direction. And I support that. And if you hired an idiot who just needed to be fired, that's go back and look at your hiring. Um, I guarantee you, you made an impulsive decision on a busy day. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, that is something that, remember the first, I won't say real job, but the first job that I had that was like a very lengthy interview process. I remember it's just like, I'd never had anything like that. I was like, I don't understand what this talk, you know, why it's taking so long. And well, you know, once you, the further you progress in your career, you're like, oh, now I get it. I get it. You I mean trying to vet someone to figure out is this person going to be a right fit? And then also in making sure that you talk and touch every single department to know that this person is going to be a right fit and not just on a, like you said, on a whim, hire someone because unfortunately in our industry, it is just that, well, this person was a top salesperson in the last 16 different places. Well, there's a reason why they've been at 16 different places. Exactly. Yes, we have a high turnover, but there's a reason why that's the case. So, okay, this person, whether, I don't care if it's fixed up, FNI, BD, I don't care, whatever position, make sure that they interact with every single area, every mm -hmm. single department, because they're going to be interacting. And at any point there's friction before the hire, that's might be a little telling. And that yeah. also, because our industry is so big yet so small, most likely someone has heard of this person, most likely. And also because we seem to always have this incestual, let's hire within the industry. Why not try to look outside the industry? We are in a hospitality industry. Look outside the industry, man, that that's a whole other topic in itself, but there's so much talent outside the industry as well. But I, I love what you're saying here. It's just uh, so, so much good, so much goodness right now. Fleming, love it. So to kind of bring this all full circle here, we've addressed a lot of really, really key points here. What would be, as people are listening here, one or two key takeaways from all of stop managing, start leading topics that we've to cover today? I mean, I think the number one thing that people really need to recognize is that leadership is a skill. It's not a natural talent. So that means you may have one or two tools in your toolkit, but as the world becomes more complex, as your workforce becomes more complex, as the talent pool turns into a talent puddle, you need a whole plethora of different types of tools in order to lead effectively. And so that is not something you're just, just like you needed to learn to sell, you needed to learn to, you know, change a transmission, just as you needed to learn skills in each of those roles, you have a new role now, and it's the role of leading people. So you better get the skills, or it's going to wear you out. It's going to exhaust you. It's going to frustrate you. It's going to make a miserable existence for yourself. So invest in yourself and realize these are skill sets. There's techniques, there's strategies, there's playbooks. There's ways that you can deal with almost any of these situations that helps you sleep at night, <laughs> hit your goals without you killing yourself. And I think it's frustrating for managers. So I don't want to like beat everybody up. We talked about a lot of things and we didn't even touch on a lot of things about being a leader. So to me, it's there are solutions and there's trainers and there's coaches out there that can really help elevate 
your leadership skills and also help you have a more well-rounded life. Amen to that. And just as you just said, with that, you've got to keep up on educating as well. Just as you got to be certified in all these different things, leadership is a skill that needs to be continued to, to be honed and educated and everything just like everything else. So I love everything about that. So with that, we are going to jump into the lightning round with Fleming Ford here. So Fleming, for all those that are obviously watching right now, your personalized link is up here on how they can get in contact with you. If they're, for those that are listening, how can they get in contact with you? Definitely on LinkedIn, Fleming Ford, um, easy to connect with me there. And also, you know, feel happy to reach out, um, email. My email is Fleming at cultureignited.com. And happy to talk with anybody about, you know, executive coaching or trainers that I know that I can recommend into the store. Um, you know, I think it's a huge opportunity to grow your capacity as a dealership if you grow your capacity of your leadership team. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> and as you can tell, she's just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to this and coming into a store and helping with that culture to train whether well, obviously everything starts at the top, right? So this is someone that you you don't want to miss out on this uh, on Fleming here. So Fleming, let, let's jump into some of these these fun field lightning questions here. What is your favorite thing to do outside of work? Favorite hobby? I was going to say if happy hour was a hobby. Oh, but- it is to me. Uh, hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what's in this, Fleming. You don't know. <laughs> I was like looking at that question. I'm like. Wow, what do I do the most of? No, well, it's funny. So I live at the beach and everyone here drinks from like, they're all on vacation. So it's, it's basically, it, for some reason, like at some point, like last year, my husband and I, why are we drinking at lunchtime? Like we're working five o'clock somewhere. That's why. <laughs> so anyway, we've had to look, learn some boundaries of don't hang out with the tourists. But there, there's a tremendous amount of, of bars here. So uh, it's a walk outside and oh, Happy hour somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> that I might be the best answer I've ever received on that question. So uh winner to Fleming. <laughs> <laughs> Embarrassing, but the truth. I'll take it. All right. Are you oh, remind me, are you wine drinker? Uh significantly, yes, wine. Why I'm sad Cash moved his event from Napa. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, no. I, know. I know. I'm like, this could be really different this year. Like, I'm not really sure what to expect. <laughs> you know, I, I did a, I did his opening keynote one year and it was after he did a wine luncheon. And I was like, if everyone yes. could drink wine before I speak for the rest of my life, I will be so happy. Because we all thought I was so funny. <laughs> was that the one two years ago? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. Oh, so I'm going to ask what your vacation favorite vacation spot is, but it might be home at this point. I'm not sure. (laughs) Right now it's spring break and spring training. So I can't leave my home right now. So there's that. Now we already covered Napa. My husband and I say that's if we could go back and like, it's the only place we go back to regularly that, because I don't like to go back to the same places, but you know, every vineyard is a different experience. So, and we're pretty big on Europe. We're like big cross the pond kind of folks. We like to feel like we have no idea what we're talking about everywhere we go. There you go. I usually don't know what I'm talking about anyway, so exactly. that, that works. <laughs> you just have an excuse over there. Yeah. There you go. Awesome. All right. Obviously the name of the show is facts, not feelings. So whether it be in personal or business, how, what are you constantly trying to have to distinguish facts from feelings? 
you know, I was thinking about this. One of the one of the probably most coaching moments that my managers love or for some reason is more life changing is called transactional analysis. And it's when you move from a conversation from your emotions, whether it's your I don't know if you've ever, you know, it's kind of when you study the adult ego states and all those when you were in high school. But it's when you move a conversation from the emotions to the facts, things can really move forward. Mm-hmm. And where we have breakdowns in relationships, breakdown in communications as a leader, as a person, is when we stick to how we feel versus dealing with facts. And I think that's one of my favorite skills to equip leaders with is to take a moment and go get it back to an adult conversation, which means get it back to the facts. I love it. Oh, that's. Yes, I love that. And I love the phrase. That's awesome. All right. What do you love most about the industry? The people. Yeah, man. Ditto. I mean, Ditto. Really, really exciting and interesting. That, that Also true. Yes. To both. And troubling. <laughs> <laughs> On all accounts. On all things. <laughs> all right. What about well, Some days I like my girls to be able to work in it without me going, no. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it would be really, I don't know if I could ever get out of the industry for a lot of reasons. One, I have a sailor's mouth and there's not a lot of other industries that I could use with his mouth. Uh, You'd be surprised surprised what happens in boardrooms. Yeah. Uh, True. Construction as well. I think boardrooms, construction. Yeah. Now my husband's in corporate America and I get around that exec team and I'm like, what? (laughs) You're like, actually, I'm okay. We just cover it up well when they're in front of the investors. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, as long as I've got a tie on, apparently I can say whatever the hell I want to exactly. say. Okay, we're good. <laughs> All right. What advice would you give your younger self? Be bold. Hmm. I think you always trespassed into what you'd like to do and talked yourself out of it. And I think that feeling is whether it leads to what you want or the the outcome. I think being true and authentic and bold would get you where you wanted to go faster. Amen. Amen. Okay. Let's, let's round it out with what is your favorite car? Oh my gosh, this is the worst question. Okay. So <laughs> I, I, I thought about coming up with a real answer and now I'm going to be super honest because I talked about being vulnerable. I know nothing about cars. That's okay. Like my husband is a fanatic, like watches all the car shows and I'll, I'll be at different manufacturers and I'll send him pictures of the new you know car. And he's like, what is that? I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, you're such an idiot. You work in automotive and you have no interest in cars. And I'm like, yeah, because it's not a car business. It's a people business. But see, that's a good answer, though. I'll take it. All right. All right. Oh, OK, maybe we'll end with um, well, if you could have you lunch with one way. person. Well, OK, since it is a people business, if you could have lunch with one person, who is it going to be? I think right now, Simon Sinek. Oh, nice. I just That's feel a like I could choice. do a whole, yeah, really long lunch, just picking his brain. I love that answer. I, 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 I've never had that answer. That's a lot. I like it. All right. Well, Fleming, thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. I so appreciate it. And everyone, as always, find a way to serve today. I does not matter if it is a grand gesture or something as simple as opening a car door or some some way to help someone and serve your fellow neighbor, your coworker, or a family member today, but find some way to help someone and ease their burden today. And with that, everyone, we will see everyone next week. You've been listening to Facts Not Feelings with Brooke Furness. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you haven't already, 
go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating. If you know a friend or a colleague will benefit from today's episode, share it with them. Until next week, find a way to serve someone. Find a way to help your neighbor. Remember, we are all in this together.